In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our life series where we are now still in the knowledge theme, the first theme in our series. As you will remember from the last time that we met, we were discussing the conditions that make knowledge Islamic. And we said that in addition to knowledge being important in general in Islam, there are certain conditions, if they are met, then that knowledge that we acquire, the information, the data, whatever it may be that we're learning, becomes Islamic knowledge. It's not so much the type of information that you acquire that makes it Islamic, it's meeting those two conditions. And those conditions, the first one being uh, the intention with which the knowledge is acquired, and we call that sincerity. To be sincere in your acquisition of knowledge and sincere in how you want to use it. And we had a whole mini-series on sincerity and intention. The second condition is the one that we recently began this new mini-series in, and this is the condition that knowledge has to be transformational. Knowledge has to cause an internal transformation in us, which by consequence is going to make us act or act in a different way. That's when we know that the knowledge that we acquired is actually impacting us from the inside out. It's not enough that I acquire the information. This has to show on me and my behavior and my actions. That's when I know that I am starting to meet the two conditions that make knowledge Islamic, that make the knowledge meet the criteria in our religion, that you acquire it with the right intention, one, and two, that it leads to action. And usually it can only lead to action once it effects change from the inside. Okay, so those are the two conditions. So the first condition, as we said, sincerity of intent when you acquire the knowledge, that one is done. And we have recently began the second condition, which is action or transformation. So we said there's a number of headings that we want to discuss under this first and uh, under this second condition. The first, obviously, is going to be making sure that we understand the relationship between knowledge and action. And in short, we said knowledge must lead to action in Islam. Simply knowing and not doing, once you know, is not sufficient. Not only does it make the knowledge useless, so in other words, you're not really getting any divine reward for it, you can't really expect any reward in the afterlife for it, you don't get any of the spiritual effects of the knowledge in this life for it, if it does not lead to action. In fact, it becomes harmful to you. The knowledge that you carry becomes an argument 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will use against you because now you know. So why did you not act? Okay, so in short, we saw that knowledge must lead to action. Otherwise, not only does it make knowledge useless without benefit, it may actually turn it into something harmful to us. Okay, but we said this does not mean that we should therefore stay away from knowledge. It simply means that we have to double down on our effort and our discipline to make sure that once we know, we have to really force ourselves to do something with the knowledge that we have. Okay, so that's what we began with. And inshallah today, given the time we have, inshallah we'll try to finish this first heading under this second condition, which is knowledge must lead to action. And we said we're looking at it from different angles. Okay. <clears throat> so let's continue with the hadith where we left off. The first hadith we have from Imam Ali alayhi salam. And this is part of one of those longer traditions, longer narrations, where the Holy Prophet he's giving a longer piece of advice to Imam Ali alayhi salam. And maybe in the future we can spend entire lectures on some of these because they're quite long. Even though they're, they're made up of very small sentences, very small parts, but there's a lot of them. Sometimes there are 100 of them, for instance, little pieces of advice. Okay, so I'm simply going to the part that is uh, relevant to us in this one. So this is Imam Ali salam says that this is part of a wasiyah, of a long piece of advice that the Holy Prophet gives him. He tells him, لا يكملو. So this is how the, the wasiyah began. The piece of advice begins from the Holy Prophet. He tells him, لا يكملو المؤمنو. Uh, the faith of a believer does not become complete until it meets certain criteria. And so the entire piece of advice from the Holy Prophet is an enumeration, is a listing of this criteria that once you put it all together, it means that your faith, your belief can be considered complete. Okay, so there's a couple of these criteria that are mentioned that I thought would be relevant. So he says, لا يقبل الباطل من صديقه ولا يرد الحق من عدوه. So that's the first one, and I simply mentioned it so that you see how it fits into the part that is relevant to us. He says, the person, in order to be a true believer, these, this is part of the criteria that you have to meet, he does not accept falsehood from his friend. Or we can add a word that's not there. It's even from his friend. Okay? If something is wrong, it's wrong. Even if it's from someone close to you. Okay? This is part of your criteria as a true Muslim, as a true believer. Wrong is wrong. Injustice is injustice. Falsehood is falsehood. So you stand up to it. You speak, up, you speak out against it, even if it's from someone who is close to you, from a friend, right? من صديقه لا يقبل الباطل من صديقه سلام عليكم ورحمة الله ولا يرد الحق من عدوه And he does not reject the truth from his enemy. Or we can add the word even from his enemy. I may have enmity, I may have hatred for whatever reason, personal or otherwise, with someone, with people, whatever it may be. 
But if what they're saying is true, it's justice, that's right, I have to recognize that that's right. Even if I have an issue with the person or with the people. Right is right. And I accept it regardless of where it's coming from. And wrong is wrong. And I reject it no matter who is doing it. Okay? And so this becomes part of the criteria that the Holy Prophet says, your belief cannot be considered full, complete, until you meet these criteria. You can't be blinded by your relations so that you start distorting your understanding of what you accept and what you reject. You accept the truth regardless of where it comes from. And you reject falsehood regardless of where it comes from. Okay, and then the Holy Prophet continues, and this is the part that is relevant to our topic. And he says, وَلَا يَتَعَلَّمْ إِلَّا لِيَعْلَمْ وَلَا يَعْلَمْ إِلَّا لِيَعْمَلْ He does not seek to learn except to really learn. And he does not really learn except to act. He's not really learning to any other reason. You understand the value of knowledge. You give a merit to knowledge itself, but you acquire it so that you, not just so that you amass information and it can be said about you, oh, this is someone who knows a lot. Okay, they know a lot. But Islamically, what matters is what you do with the knowledge. So the Holy Prophet says, and he does not know except to do, except to act. This is part of the criteria that has to be met in order for someone's faith to be complete. Okay? And there's so much here we can add. I'm just looking at my notes very quickly. So the impartial nature of the Muslim, I think, is something very, very well known in our religion, that we're supposed to stand up for justice, for truth, for whatever is right, no matter where it comes from, and that we're supposed to reject injustice, falsehood, lies, wherever it may be. Wrong is wrong. You're supposed to stand up to it. There's a verse in the Qur'an, uh, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Ya ayyuha alladhina amanu, O you who believe, uh, kunu uh, qawwamina lillah shuhada'a bilqist. Be of those who steadfast, who maintain and stand firm for God. Shuhada'a bilqist. Be witnesses for justice. And then the verse explains, this is, in case this is not clear enough, it says, وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا And do not allow, do not let the hatred of a people to steer you away from, to make you swerve away from being just. وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا don't allow the hatred of a people because you're at war with a group as it was the case 14 centuries ago. The Quran is referring to that situation. There's an enmity, there's a hatred, there's a problem between you and another group of people. Do not allow for that situation to cause you to reject the truth. No, you're not allowed. Justice is justice. Don't allow that bad relationship, that enmity and that hatred, don't allow it to make you swerve away from justice. Okay? The Quran then adds, it gives an order. It says, Be just. It is nearer to righteousness. It's nearer, nearer to piety, to God-fearing. 
And fear God, and the, the verse continues. Okay, so this is very clear. It's been always established, and the, the, the narration sim- simply matches exactly what the Holy Quran is talking about. And so this is something I think that um, we can definitely see and we can definitely apply, and it's not always easy, especially when we have people who are close to us, friends, as the, the, the narration says, sometimes it's family members, people sometimes expect you to stand up with them and to support them, even if everybody knows that this is wrong, but just because it's a close friend, it's a family member, you're supposed to stand up with them and support them, this does not align with our values, our Islamic values. Wrong is wrong and right is right. Okay, the other part, so I would add to this, you see the verse, the, 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 even in the verse, it's talking about hatred, right? So there's clearly a huge problem with another group between two groups, and the Quran says don't even allow that to distort your acceptance or rejection of falsehood and truth. Unfortunately, what we see in a lot of cases is that a lot of us, we reject the truth even from those who are very close to us. Not people who are uh, with whom there is enmity and hatred and all sorts of complex situations. People who are close to us. So this is where you see, like there's an internal struggle that we have to go through. It takes humility. It takes modesty to recognize truth, especially when it's against yourself. And the same thing if you are going to be the one speaking out against something wrong. And this is, of course, it opens a whole discussion that we're not going to have now, but I just hint to it. Of course, whether it's the Holy Quran, whether it's these narrations, and we'll talk about that a little bit more at length later. Of course, the method, the approach, the how is hugely important. You should never expect to be able to positively influence someone by going and being outspoken Uh, outspoken and embarrassing someone, for instance, publicly or being harsh with them. And, you know, it might be, you might be very lucky and it might be an exceptional, unique situation where someone might not have any defensive reaction to that and they might be open to the truth or recognizing that. But that will be the exception. The majority of people will fight back. If you come, you know, all guns ablazing and you go and attack someone, You cannot really expect them to be completely open and receptive and say, of course, what you're saying is true and that was wrong. And so we definitely have to take the approach and the how into consideration. The the hadith here is not telling us, the Holy Prophet is not saying, if you see wrong, go and fight with the person and start or embarrass them or, you know, take all sorts of harsh and rude manners with them. Of course, that's not what is meant here. You have to find the most the best, most appropriate, most conducive way to guide the person, to effect change positively in the best possible way. Be smart, be strategic, be merciful, be compassionate in whatever way you think you are really going to reach that person, right? You're really talking to their heart and knowing full well that if you attack them, they're going to be defensive and the message is completely going to be entirely lost, right? So all of that is inshallah clear. And of course, the the point from all of this was the second part, which is the Holy Prophet is saying this is one of the main criteria of someone who is Muslim, of someone who is a full believer, is that they always want to learn, but they want to learn in order to act. 
Okay, so that's the, the punchline for us here, the relevant part. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet So here there are three hadith uh, that are very closely connected with each other. The first one, he says, "Man izdada ilman, walam yazdad hudan, lam yazdad min Allahi illa bu'da." So if the one whose knowledge has increased, yet this has not increased them in guidance, it has not increased their level of hidayah or huda, guidance, then this will only increase their distance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is to counter the notion sometimes, the false notion that we may have, that the point of knowledge is to just to amass knowledge, just to amass information and data and learn it and memorize it as though this is the merit in Islam. This is not the merit. And that's why the Holy Prophet here says, he's giving a condition. He says, if you're increasing in your amount of knowledge, but this is not leading to guidance, so you have to think about what guidance means. If it does not lead to more guidance, then the only possible outcome is that it's leading to a greater distance between you and God. The purpose of knowledge has to be, no matter what knowledge, if you want that knowledge to be counted for you, something for which God rewards you, some, some type of thing that's going to be recognized for you in the afterlife, then that knowledge must lead to guidance. It must help you understand who you are better, understand what you're supposed to be doing in this world better, how you're supposed to act better, if it leads to that, that's all forms of guidance. That's great. No matter what type of knowledge it is. You may spend time studying flowers, but that brings you closer to God. You understand the power, the knowledge, the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. Great. That is a type of knowledge that has led to your guidance. Or you study economy, and this brings you closer to God because you understand that human societies need a lot more justice and you want to act in this world to be an agent for more justice, to eliminate poverty, to make more equality, end up being in human societies, great. That's a form of guidance. You find your purpose, you find who you are, and you act on it. If it does not lead to anything of that sort, and yet you are increasing in knowledge, the Holy Prophet says, then the only other possible outcome is that you're increasing your distance from God. You're actually walking away from God. That knowledge is very useful. It's being harmful to you. Okay? That knowledge has to lead to greater guidance. Another hadith in the same vein, the Holy Prophet says, مَنْ ازْدَادَ فِي الْعِلْمِ رُشْدًا فَلَمْ يَزْدَدْ فِي الدُّنْيَا زُهْدًا لَمْ يَزْدَدْ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا بُعْدًا Whoever increases in knowledge, uh, their wisdom or their maturity in knowledge, so basically the amount of knowledge that you have increases. Rushd can be maturity or wisdom. So you're growing in knowledge. Okay, So the one who has knowledge increased in maturity or wisdom, yet this has not increased them in seeing the worthlessness of this world. 
it has not increased them in their detachment from this world. And so this is another of the objectives of knowledge. And there's a difference between living in this world as you're supposed to and fully benefiting from everything that it has, fully enjoying everything that it has. There's a difference between that and being attached to this world as though this is the purpose. Okay, so here the Prophet says, if the amount of knowledge is increasing, but your detachment from this world is not, in other words, you're still as attached to everything in this world, to the material stuff and fluff of this world, then, لم يزدد من الله إلا بعدا, the same conclusion, then that knowledge is only increasing your distance between yourself and God. So in the first hadith, the Holy Prophet is saying the real purpose of knowledge has to be guidance. If it does not lead to more guidance, then it's not performing its function. Knowledge is not serving you well. In this hadith, it's saying the ultimate purpose of knowledge has to make you detached from this world so that you're not obsessed with the material components of this world. Your life is not just about running after wealth and money, popularity, fame, whatever it is. Every era and every society were stuck in something. You go back 200 years ago, people were stuck in something. But all of it is called life, right? The stuff of this world, worldliness. Usually it's the material components of this world. Not the higher transcendental human values that all of humanity recognizes and has always recognized for a millennia. Okay? But everybody knows that the majority of our time is spent on the rest, on the material component. So the Holy Prophet here says, knowledge is supposed to get you to move away from this world. You focus on other things. You have to see the worth of those other things. And you move towards them. Stop being so obsessed with this life and the, the fluff in it, the superficial stuff of this life. If it does not lead to that, then the knowledge that you're learning is part of this world. It's leading you away from this world. There's nothing different from the knowledge that you're learning and the worldliness that you're supposed to be walking away from through this knowledge. Okay, so this is the second hadith that I thought they could definitely go together. The last hadith, man ahabbat dunya. So this is slightly different wording from the hadith, but also from these hadith, but they also have the same type of theme. Man ahabbat dunya dhahab khawful akhirati min qalbi. Who, if someone loves this world, then the fear of the afterlife will depart from their heart. Okay? The more you are fixated on this world and loving what's in this world, the less you are fearful of the afterlife. And really understanding what's awaiting us in the afterlife, after death. وَمَا آتَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا عِلْمًا فَازْدَادَ لِلدُّنْيَا حُبًّا And whenever God grants a servant knowledge, and this is something we've talked about in the past, you have to really see it that way. When knowledge comes your way, you have to see it as something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent your way. 
It's a gift. It's a grace. It's a favor that's been sent your way. And therefore, you have to act accordingly, just like when God sends any other favor your way. This is something for which you have to be grateful. You have to show your appreciation, and you don't just show it by saying, thank you, God, thank you, God, with words. You have to show it with your actions, that you appreciate this. You will do something about it now that it has come your way. Okay? And whenever God grants a servant knowledge, which then leads to further the love of this world, the prophet says, so God sent you something, but you used it instead of getting closer to God, becoming a better human being, you used it to go deeper into this world. Okay? فَازْدَادَ لِلدُّنْيَا حُبًّا إِلَّا ازْدَادَ مِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى بُعْدًا وَازْدَادَ تَعَالَى عَلَيْهِ غَضَبًا Then this will only increase the distance between the servant and God and will only increase the wrath of God upon them. You're using something that God sent your way to basically go in the opposite direction from God. Okay, but it takes, of course, a lot of insight to see knowledge as this type of divine gift being sent to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so there's definitely, I think, in these hadith, in all of them, a cause to self-examine and self-question constantly. Okay, this is not something that you do once and you never go back to it. This has to become a constant or regular exercise that we do with ourselves. Many of us are in some sort of process of constantly learning, constantly educating ourselves, constantly increasing in knowledge. So if that's the case, this requires, the Holy Prophet is very clear here, if your knowledge is increasing, then you have to self-examine all the time. Is this causing me more guidance or not? Is this making me more attached or more detached from this world? The Holy Prophet is giving us very clear criteria. And when I, have, when I do this exercise with myself, it's going to be different from when you do it with yourself. It's going to mean something for you and it's going to be mean, mean something different for me. I will understand guidance differently than you. How God is guiding me through the knowledge. It's going to be different than you. Right? But we all have to do this exercise. So long as you are in some sort of process of acquiring knowledge, don't just fixate on the amount of information that you're accumulating. That is important and that's good so long as it leads to some sort of action. But there's more. We have to make sure that it leads to more guidance. We have to make sure that we put this world, this life, living in this world in perspective. Okay, It has to lead to that type of spiritual growth. If it doesn't, it's missing the point. That knowledge is counterproductive. It's going in the wrong direction. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet very short, he says, but I think very powerful, مَنْ غَلَبَ عِلْمُهُ هَوَاهُ مَنْ غَلَبَ عِلْمُهُ فَهُوَ عِلْمٌ نَافِعٌ The one whose knowledge overpowers their desire 
has beneficial knowledge. That's another criteria to see the Islamicness, the religiousness, the divine nature of the religion of the knowledge that you have. Is it giving you more discipline over yourself or not? Does it lead you, does it give you inner strength to overcome your desires, your weaknesses or not? The more you learn, is it making you stronger internally? Is it giving you discipline? Is it giving you an ability to overcome your desires? We all have hawa. We all have desires. We all have weaknesses. But for some of us, the Holy Prophet says, we gain enough knowledge and we can use that knowledge to overpower the desire. Just like all of us, we go through this in our daily lives. When we reach a certain point in our lives, you see a child will put their hand out to touch anything, even if it's an open flame. It looks very nice and shiny and seductive to the child. He'll put his hand out. Until knowledge of what this is is going to overpower their desire to touch it because they know what this is. No different than what we have to go through. Is your knowledge increasing your discipline and your inner strength so that you can overpower your desires and your weaknesses or not? If it is, this is beneficial knowledge, the Prophet says. That's the criteria. Should I learn this knowledge? We've been talking about this question since the beginning of the series. And I promised you guys, eventually, the next theme is going to be going through the recommended types of information or disciplines or knowledge that we should learn in Islam. I said it will come, but that's secondary. This is much more important. These are the criteria that apply to any type of information. If it's information that makes you stronger internally, if it gives you inner discipline to control your desires, to control your weaknesses and overcome them, this is the knowledge you're supposed to acquire in Islam. This makes the knowledge much more Islamic than calling it ilm al-kalam or tafsir or akhlaq or fiqh or falsafa or whatever it may be. It's knowledge that brings you closer to God. That makes you evolve and progress and improve and benefit spiritually. And there, there's no label you can put on that. Because what affects you and what affects me may be different. Someone may be affected by what we're calling fiqh. Someone may not, another person may not be. But if you're meeting this criteria, I don't care what type of information you got. If it means that you can overcome your desires, you can overpower your weaknesses, that's Islamic knowledge. That's sacred knowledge in Islam. Use that. That's beneficial, the Holy Prophet says. This is what amounts to benefit in this world and the next. And so now we have a few criteria. It leads to guidance. It makes you detached from this world. And now it allows you to overpower, to have discipline over your desires. That's why we've been talking from the beginning of this mini-series. We called it Transformational.
You see that it affects change on you from the inside out. And then you see it in your behaviors. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet says, الْعِلْمُ عِلْمَانْ عِلْمٌ عَلَى اللِّسَانِ فَذَلِكَ حُجَّةٌ عَلَى بْنِ آدَمٍ وَعِلْمٌ فِي الْقَلْبِ فَذَلِكَ الْعِلْمُ النَّافِعِ Knowledge is of two types. A knowledge that is on the tongue or in speech, that is an argument against the son of Adam, against the human being. Because now you know, you know the theory, you know the information, it's going to be an argument against you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will use that knowledge as an argument against you. Okay, That is an argument against the son of Adam. فَذَلِكَ حُجَّةٌ عَلَى بْنِ آدَمٍ وَعِلْمٌ فِي الْقَلْبِ And a knowledge in the heart. Okay, That's not just learning the terms and the words and memorizing the data and the information. No, no, it's affecting you. It's in your heart. Okay, The Prophet says, and a knowledge in the heart, and that is the useful knowledge. If you remember a few weeks ago, when we met, we talked about another hadith from the Prophet, and we spent a bit of time talking about it. The Holy Prophet says, العلم مسموع ومطبوع Right? There is knowledge that is heard and knowledge that is imprinted. We spent a bit of time on this, so I'm not going back, but it's linked. Right? Here we have an explanation perhaps of that hadith. He says here, علم على اللسان وعلم في القلب One of them is on the tongue and one of them is in the heart. That's the useful one. Not your ability to just repeat the words. And say, therefore, you know, I can pass, I get, get the degree, I can be said, people will say about me, he knows, you know, how to say the words. You have memorized the book, you have, you know, said all the right words, therefore you're a scholar, you're knowledgeable. Prophet says, that's not good. That's only going to be used against you. You have to take that and make it come into your heart, affect you deep down. That is the beneficial knowledge. Hadith from the long story of Prophet Al-Khidr and Musa. In Surah Al-Kahf, as you know, there's the story of Prophet Musa salam when he meets one of our servants, the verse says, right? He's never named, he's never mentioned in the Holy Quran, but the narrations tell us that he is Al-Khidr salam And so he's a, either a prophet or a very special servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so there is a long, when they depart, Musa alayhi salam, our holy prophet says, that Musa alayhi salam, prophet Musa, asks him to give him some sort of advice before they leave each on their separate ways. So there's a long part of pieces of advice that Al-Khadr gives to Musa alayhi salam. Included in there, he says, أَشْعَرْ قَلْبَكَ التَّقْوَى so Al-Khidr is teaching Prophet Musa salam, and Prophet Musa being one of our greatest messengers of God and prophets of God, you see the humility he has. He finds a human being who has types of knowledge that he does not have. So he wants to learn everything he can from this person. Every He milks every piece of advice and uh, uh, insight that he can out of him to fully benefit. So at some point when he tells him, give me uh, advice at the end he says أشعر قلبك التقوى تنال العلم he says make yourself or make your heart experience taqwa God fearing 
Force yourself. Force your heart. Make your heart feel taqwa. Why? What do you get out of that? Al-Khadr tells Musa السلام, tells him, ilm. You will gain, you will acquire knowledge. We've been talking about something we called the virtuous cycle. Right? We said there's a cycle. It's not one way. It's not I learn and then I become God-fearing. And then it stops here. That, that would not be a cycle. That's a one-way relationship. One thing causes another thing, and it stops there. When I say it's a cycle, it means it's both ways. It keeps going. We called it a virtuous cycle in our religion. We said in our religion, everything points to this virtuous cycle. It tells us when you gain knowledge, if you are sincere in gaining knowledge and you act on it, it leads to taqwa. It leads to God-fearing. And that becomes the sign that it was real knowledge and that you met the criteria. You become God-fearing. So where is the cycle? The cycle is that if you do become God-fearing, this is going to lead to more knowledge. And here we have a very clear indication of that. Usually we focus, we tend to focus on the non-spiritual side of knowledge, the easy part of knowledge, which is I attend a lecture, I read a book, I can learn the information. That's the easy part. I don't need to do anything. There's no taqwa. I can just listen to the info, I can memorize the words, easy. I became knowledgeable. Well, there's something missing. It has to lead to taqwa. If it led to taqwa, if it led to God-fearing, true God-fearing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guarantees himself that he will give you more knowledge. And if he gave you more knowledge, then what? Then we're back in the cycle, in the loop. That new knowledge will lead to a higher level of taqwa, a higher level of God-fearing, which will lead to more knowledge, which will lead to more God-fearing. And that's how you go up in spiritual ranks. The Holy Quran talks about this, many narrations talk about this, but if you break it down to very, very simple notions, you have a perfect example in this hadith, where it's the opposite of what we focus on. As I said, we usually focus on the easy part, which is, I learn by memorizing. I read a book, I listen to a lecture, I do something that allows me to, to hear the words, to learn the words, to memorize the notions, and that's it. Al-Khidr is telling Musa السلام, focus on the other part. In order to gain knowledge, don't listen to the lecture and don't read the book. He's telling him, if you want to gain the knowledge, the knowledge, then make sure that your heart experiences God-fearing. You must fear God. You have to feel piety. You have to feel pious, mindful of God, mindful of the presence of God in your life. This opens the door to gaining knowledge that Allah puts in your heart. And that's not knowledge that you're going to find in a book or in a lecture or in words. This is light. We called it in the past. We said it's a nur. 
We didn't come up with this. Imam Sadiq says, it's a type of light that God throws in the heart of those he loves amongst his servants. He wants to give you a spiritual insight. Two people have the same amount of knowledge theoretically. If you could empty what's in their mind, what's in their brain on paper, it would be the same. But one person has something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that makes them much more religious than the other. What's the difference? Taqwa. God-fearing. One person is doing something with it, spiritually, and the other is not. So in one case, it actually amounts to something spiritual. In the other case, it doesn't. Transformational or not. That's the condition. There's a hadith, the next hadith from Imam al-Sajjad salam. It's not actually a hadith, it's a little letter. Imam al-Sajjad, our fourth Imam salam, he wrote a letter to a man in his time by the name of Muhammad ibn Muslim. A lot of people don't say, you won't even hear Muhammad ibn Muslim, you'll just hear Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. Ibn Shihab is not his father, it's actually an ancestor. Al-Zuhri is well known. He was a very big scholar in his time. They say he was the first scholar to have learned from all the major seven fuqaha of Medina and so on and so forth. He was one of the first to start compiling in the Sunni school uh, a compendium or a collection of ahadith Okay, very early. And so he lived at the time of a number of our imams, including Imam Sajjad salam. And he was one of those scholars who was very, very used by Bani Umayyah. Okay, and by, by, the, by the way, he, he's one of those, sometimes when you hear the biography of Imam Sajjad salam, he is one of those who are often quoted as saying, I have never met anyone who is as knowledgeable as uh, Imam Sajjad salam, right? Ali ibn al-Hussein. So Imam al-Sajjad, in his life, he writes this letter to Az-Zuhri. So, of course, there's a whole... We could spend the whole lecture just talking about the biography of Az-Zuhri and why the Imam is talking to him in this way. But I think that part will be clear from it and just from what I have said. So I want us to read it as though the Imam is talking to us to see if or to what extent this applies to us. If the Imam were writing this letter to me, would this not work as well? So the Imam tells Az-Zuhri, he begins by saying, كَفَانَ اللَّهُ وَإِيَّاكَ مِنَ الْفِتَنِ وَرَحِمَكَ مِنَ النَّارِ So he says, may God protect us and you from tribulations. Which is a very harsh way for the Imam to start the letter. Okay? And he tells him, and may God keep you through his mercy from hellfire. Okay? So the Imam already is using a pretty harsh tone for anyone who understands you know, how to write a letter and the ability of the Imam to, to speak to someone. You see that the Imam is taking a quick, quite a direct tone with him. Tell him, may God protect you from the tribulations. In other words, it's as though you've already fallen into them. May God rescue, from, rescue you from the tests that he has put you through. Okay? And keep you through his mercy from hellfire. فَقَدْ أَصْبَحْتَ بِحَالٍ 
ينبغي لمن عرفك بها أن يرحمك for you have now become in a state Imam Sajjad tells Zuhri you have now become in a state where the one who knows about it ought to have mercy on you so I think the words are clear right the Imam basically says he begins by saying may God protect you from falling into tribulations and may he keep you away from hellfire why why is the Imam saying this because now you are in a state in which anyone who knows about it about that state would ought to have mercy on you everybody should have mercy on you why faqad athqalatka ni'amullah so the bounties of god have heavily burdened you bima asahha min badanik wa atala min umrik because of the health that he has bestowed on your body and the extension he has granted in your life the imam is telling him you have been you have become quite heavily burdened by the favors of god look at the health that he has given you look at the long life that he has given you okay these are heavy burdens okay that's why the imam is telling him you should be very afraid Okay, and then he can. So I think this part applies to all of us, right? And then the Imam continues, and he says, "وَقَامَتْ عَلَيْكَ حُجَجُ اللَّهِ بِمَا حَمَلَكَ مِنْ كِتَابِهِ وَفَقَّهَكَ فِيهِ مِنْ دِينِهِ وَعَرَّفَكَ مِنْ سُنَّةِ نَبِيِّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ." And so, first, he has bestowed upon you health. Secondly, he has extended your life. He has given you a long age. And now thirdly, he has given you knowledge. Zuhri was considered a very big scholar. And now the imam is using that as the main argument against him. He's telling him, you should be very afraid of God because of everything you know in this religion. Right? He says, and the arguments of God have stood against you for that which he has made you carry from his book. So you know the book. You know what is contained in the Quran. Other people may not have, may have an excuse for not knowing. You do know. And for, and for the understanding that he has given you in his religion. And others may not know the religion like you do. But you do know the religion. Okay, so the imam here, I would consider this to be very direct threats. How the imam is talking to Zuhri. Right? And he says, and the knowledge of which he has made you aware of the tradition of his prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings upon him and his household. Okay, so if others have that excuse, you don't have that excuse. You see that, and that's the main point of the letter. The imam is talking to him. Why did he write to him in the first place? He's writing to him as a scholar. He's not writing to him just as a layman, just as a normal person. He tells him, you should be very afraid of God for the knowledge that he has given you. I don't need to say more, the imam says. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you knowledge of his book and of his religion and of the tradition of the prophet. That's it. There's nothing else. You have all the knowledge. Therefore, you should act accordingly. And yet you do not. Right? That's what the imam is saying in this very short letter. So he continues... 
فرضي لك في كل نعمة أنعم بها عليك وفي كل حجة احتج بها عليك الفرض بما قضى So he has accepted for you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted for you in every bounty that he has bestowed upon you and every argument that he has prepared against you the obligation to act based on what he has decreed. Okay, He has given you all of this in return of a duty. What is that duty? The Imam says, فَمَا قَضَى إِلَّا بْتَلَى شُكْرَكَ فِي ذَلِكَ He wants you to be grateful. He wants you to show your thankfulness, your appreciation for that knowledge. And how do you show your thanks? How do you show your gratitude to God? Is it simply by saying the word, Alhamdulillah, Shukrullah? Of course you say the word. But you have to show it in your actions. Okay? So he says, and that he has decreed, and all that he has decreed is but a test of your gratitude towards it all, towards it in all the favors he has initiated for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has initiated, has sent you these favors by himself. He has sent them to you as a test. And we have talked about this at length. This is the whole philosophy of this world, of existing for us human beings in this world. It's all a test of gratitude. What will you do when you don't get? And what will you do when you do get? Okay? And this applies to everything. And so he says, and all that he has decreed is but a test of your gratitude towards it all and uh, towards it and all the favors that he has initiated for you so he said the imam reminds him of the quran so he said if you are grateful qala la in shakartum la azidannakum wa la in kafartum inna adabi la shadid right if you are grateful i surely will grant you an increase but if you are ungrateful then truly my punishment is severe that's the whole letter of the Imam to Az-Zuhri. Inshallah, in the future we'll talk more about Az-Zuhri. But there is a part in this, certainly that I think applies to all of us. The, regardless of who Zuhri was and why the Imam is writing this to him. Zuhri was a very big scholar, as we said in his time. But the bounties that the Imam is talking about, we all have those bounties. We all have the health, and we all have a long enough life and we all have a certain amount of knowledge we, not, we may not have the amount of knowledge as Zuhri had but we certainly have some knowledge we know enough about the Quran and what it says we're supposed to be doing we know enough about what religion says and what it says we're, how we're supposed to be or the tradition of the Holy Prophet this if it applies to Zuhri based on the amount of knowledge that he had, it certainly applies to us to the amount of knowledge that we have. In the same way, when the Imam says, all of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to you to see whether you will be grateful and show gratitude or not. And you show gratitude by acting appropriately. Act in a way that shows that you are grateful for having had that knowledge. Which is what? Which is acting on that knowledge. Otherwise that knowledge is useful, useless. Without benefit to you. It should have gone to someone else. You're doing nothing with it. 
Okay? The next hadith from the Holy Prophet There's a couple of hadith here, one from the Prophet and one from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَآلِهِ يَدْعُو فِي إِثْرِ الصَّلَوَاتِ فَيَقُولُ We have this mentioned from more than one of our Imams. They say that the Holy Prophet, after every prayer, one of the five prayers, at the end of it, he would read this very short dua. He would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. O God, I seek refuge in you. Min ilmin la yanfa'. From knowledge, that is, without benefit. وَقَلْبٍ لَا يَخْشَعْ And from a heart without any fear. وَنَفْسٍ لَا تَشْبَعْ And a soul that is never satisfied. وَدُعَاءٍ لَا يُسْمَعْ And a prayer or an invocation that is not heard. And why is it not heard? Because of stuff we do. Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hear our prayers unless we prevent the prayers from being heard through sins, from other things, injustice to people, whatever it may be, it prevents the prayer from being heard. And then the Holy Prophet would end by saying, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al arba'. O God, I seek refuge in you from these four. Okay, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa' from a knowledge that is without benefit. There's a difference, as we said. We started with this. There's a difference between saying that the knowledge has no benefit. Just stopping there. So something has no benefit and no harm. You should be indifferent to it. It's neutral. This would not be enough for the Prophet to say, O God, I seek refuge in you from something. There has to be something harmful in it that makes the Holy Prophet says, Oh God, I seek refuge in you from that. This is not something towards which we can be indifferent because it has no benefit. No, there is a harm that comes from this and the Holy Prophet does not want to be touched by that harm. Right? So he says, Oh God, I seek refuge in you from that thing. And the harm of that thing, which is what? Ilmin la yanfa. In other words, it's like the Holy Prophet is saying there is a purpose that is supposed to be attained from each one of these four things that he enumerated. And if the purpose is not achieved, then those things become very harmful. If I'm not using those things, as they are intended, they can become very harmful. So the Holy Prophet is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's refuge and protection against them. Ilmin la yanfa, a knowledge without benefit. Waqalbin la yakhsha, and a heart that does not fear. A heart in which there is no fear of God. Wanafsin la tashba, and a soul that is never happy. Never satisfied. Always want, always wants more. An infinite pit. No matter how much you put in it, it's always seeking more. The Holy Prophet says this is something dangerous. And he seeks God's protection from it. وَنَفْسٍ لَا تَشْبَعْ 
right? And he says, وَدُعَاءٍ لَا يُسْمَعٍ And these are different wordings that are available in other ad'iyah, by the way. Imam Ali السلام, he has something very similar in which he says, لَا خَيْرَ There is no good in. It's better not to have those things. There is no good that can come out of three things. In, in a very similar vein. He says, لَا خَيْرَ فِي قَلْبٍ لَا يَخْشَعْ There is no good that comes out of a heart that does not fear. وَعَيْنٍ لَا تدمع. And an eye that does not become tearful, that does not cry, that does not weep. وَعِلْمٍ لَا يَنْفَعْ And a knowledge that is without benefit, useless. A knowledge that is useless. So in short, can knowledge be useless in Islam? Yes, very much. And the Holy Prophet and Imam Ali say, stay away from it. If there is no benefit to you in that knowledge, stay away. It's better to stay away. Seek God's refuge from it. Because that's useless knowledge to you. It will become harmful to you. Okay? We can maybe go for a few more minutes. Um, so until now we established that knowledge must be sought with the intention to act. So that's one part of the equation. The other part of the equation, so therefore, we want to act. So the other part of the equation is that a lot of people, unfortunately, jump into action without gaining sufficient knowledge first. And so we talked a little bit about this. I want to finish and close off the loop there so that we have both sides, so that we don't go too far in the action part without having secured the knowledge first. So we're saying knowledge must lead to action, but it can lead, it has to lead to action once you have enough knowledge. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know why you're doing, why you're doing it. Otherwise, it becomes harmful. When you jump into action without knowing what you're doing, you may cause more harm than good. And this applies at a high level and it applies and collectively, community, society, and so on and so forth. And it can apply individually too. And it can apply to things that are definitely, which is our focus, religion. Instruct yourself, educate yourself in religion before you act religiously. And before you start speaking on behalf of religion. And that one is a very dangerous one. When you become the spokesperson for religion, without having secured enough knowledge, especially when what you're saying is no longer just general principles of religion that everybody understands. When you start applying principles of religion to specific subject matter and specific situations, you better know your religion inside out to know which one of the competing principles applies in this case and which one doesn't and why. You get people to completely be led astray with this if it is not properly done. People focus on the wrong things. People understand religion completely wrong. And this is in fact the history of our religion from the death of the Holy Prophet until today. Where people start speaking on behalf of religion without being qualified. Okay? So in any case, 
Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, he says the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi said, Man amila ala ghayri ilmin kana ma yufsid akthar mimma yuslah. Imam Sadiq says the Holy Prophet said, the one who acts without knowledge will be causing more harm than good. The harm that they will be causing will be more than the good they will be causing. Okay, so we confirm knowledge must lead to action, but don't jump into action without having enough knowledge first. Imam al-Baqir says, لا يقبل عمل إلا بمعرفه No action is accepted unless it is with knowledge. Action alone, without knowing what you're doing, is useless. It's no different than a machine doing the work. Or someone doing the work. We talked about this in the past. The difference between al-husn al-fi'li wa al-husn al-fa'li. Sometimes you want to focus on the benefit or the value of an act. That does not exist in the case of a human being. Because a human being always acts with intention. The value of the action, the merit of the action comes from the intent behind the action. And where this really shows is not in this world. Because intents are not displayed in this world. This is not a world of intents. Your spiritual intent behind the act is only going to be apparent in the afterlife. And that's why only in the afterlife will we really see the true merit of people, the true value of people. In this world, it's a world of appearances. So you see the appearance for which you did an act. What was the apparent reason for which you gave money? To help others. You were being a huge philanthropist and you were helping others. Was it simply to gain more power? To build your network? To have access to more resources? To build a name, fame, popularity? Open more business for you? All of that could be reasons why. Suddenly the value of the act changes completely. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is interested in the intent. The value of the act is determined by the intent for which it was done. That's the sincerity of the act that we've been talking about for quite a long time. And we said everything is based on the sincerity of your intent. Okay, so the imam here says, لا يقبل عمل إلا بمعرفة. I have to know in order to do. Otherwise, there's nothing being accepted here. My intent stems from my knowledge. I have a certain amount, amount of knowledge. Therefore, this is going to generate an intent for me to do something. When I do it, it's going to lead to action. When I do it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assesses that intent behind the act, not the act itself. Okay? وَلَا مَعَرِفَةَ إِلَّا And there is no knowledge unless it is with action. You cannot have true knowledge unless it leads to action, which is the point of the hadith, the reason why I'm mentioning the hadith. If you have knowledge in the Islamic sense, knowledge means it leads to action. Knowledge that stays at the level of knowledge is not knowledge. There's something missing. It has to be transformational. And then the imam 
says basically the same thing again. To re-emphasize, he explains it. He says, وَمَنْ عَرَفَ دَلَّتْهُ مَعْرِفَتُهُ عَلَى الْعَمَلِ And whoever knows, their knowledge is going to lead them to action. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَعْرِفْ فَلَا عَمَلَ لَهُ And the one who does not know, they will have no action. So again, it comes back to the same point, right? The Imam is saying, in order to act, you must know. And once you know, you will act. Because there is no knowledge without action. So if you do find knowledge and there is no action, the Imam says that's not knowledge. Call it whatever you want, but that's not knowledge in the Islamic sense, in the divine sense. Imam al-Sadiq says, Al-amilu ala ghayri basira kassair ala ghayri tariq The one who acts without basira, we talked a lot about basira, the one who acts without spiritual insight, ala ghayri basira kassair ala ghayri tariq is like the person who is advancing, who is moving forward, traveling away from the path. Imagine you are traveling from point A to point B, but you're not traveling on the road. You're not following the map to get from A to B. So the Imam says, moving faster will only increase their distance away from the objective. What's the way? It's the knowledge. You can't go from point A to point B if you don't know the way, if you don't know. The Imam says, so the the going, the traveling, that's your action. But you have to know which direction to go. You have to know what you're doing. You have to gain knowledge first so that your action is appropriate. Okay? And so, of course, this applies to religion, but it, of course, it applies to everything else too. The way we apply our religion is we apply it to things in this world. If I want to apply my religion to something, let's say, in the financial field, I can't just learn what... Islam says the principles of Islam without knowing anything in the financial field. I also have to go and learn something in the financial field so that I can see how it applies. If I want to apply, apply it to social development, I want to apply it to politics, I want to apply it to community work, whatever it may be. I need religious knowledge and I need, I need the way. I need knowledge of the file I'm going to be working on. Subject matter knowledge. And if I have expertise, even better. Which becomes a call to expertise. The more you want to be sure that you're moving really from point A to point B, as you're hoping, you want to improve your individual state, you want to improve improve the state of your community, of your society, of humanity, you have to gain your religious knowledge, and you have to gain enough expertise on the subject matter you're going to be touching. It can't simply be limited to, I can't become revolutionary in medicine if I haven't studied medicine or revolutionary in finances or politics if I haven't done any studies in those fields, right? The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Yeah, let me uh, maybe finish with this one. We'll leave, there's a few more hadith, we'll leave them to next time, inshallah. Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, This is part of a longer sermon or longer hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, Imam Ali alayhi 
So the one who looks with the heart, Imam Ali alayhi salam says. Unfortunately, we don't really focus on this. We don't look with the heart. Right? The Imam says, but there are people who look with the heart. Where do they start? How do they look? How do they assess things? He says, so the one who looks with the heart and who acts based on insight, al-amilu bil-basar, begins their action by knowing. I don't begin my action by doing. Before I act, I have to know something. And the Imam is telling us, what is it that you have to know? Begins their action by knowing. Is the action for them or against them? Is this going to be beneficial or harmful? There is a meditation or a reflection or an assessment before I act. If it is for them, فَإِنْ كَانَ لَهُ مَضَى وَإِنْ كَانَ عَلَيْهُ وَقَفَ If it is for them, they proceed in it. And if it is against them, they stop and abstain. For the one who acts without knowledge is like the one who travels without a path. The same analogy of Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Baqir, others also have it. The one who acts without knowledge is like someone who is traveling away from the path. Their, the more they travel and the more away they become from their objective, from their destination. As for the one who acts based on, on knowledge, he is like the one who is traveling on a clear path. So let every onlooker ponder. Are they moving forward or backward? Imam Ali salam says, make sure you understand where you're going. Gain the knowledge and apply your reason. Are you going in the right direction? Do you have enough knowledge to be sure that you're moving in the right direction in this world? Okay, this is not about, you know, your individual acts and your individual decisions, of course, but your life in general. Are you moving in the right direction or not? Okay. Yeah, we can talk a lot here. I have a lot of comments on, on this hadith specifically because I think that it applies greatly not only to us individually, but it would also apply to us as communities. When the Imam salam is saying that there is a need for us to self-assess, it means that we also have to be open. I have to be open and to have the humility and the modesty of people coming to me and telling me what you're doing here is wrong. You're moving in the wrong direction. And this becomes even more crucial if we apply this at the level of communities. When people are in positions where they have responsibility and they have the ability and the authority in a community to move community in a specific direction, it also comes with an additional burden of being open to criticism, of being open to multiple points of view. Are we really moving in the right direction? Is this really the most appropriate way of moving together? This all falls under this too. Imam Ali says, 
there has to be a very clear knowledge of the way and making sure that we're moving forward, not backward, as the Imam says. And so this applies not only to us individually, but it applies to us collectively. This has to become part of our philosophy of being in a community. That we're always open to that kind of discussion and that kind of criticism. Making sure that if there is an expertise lacking, we go get it. The Imam is talking here very clearly. Do we know the way? Do we know how to get there? Do we know where we're trying to get? Is there a clear aim, a clear path, a clear destination we're aiming for or not? If there is, great. If there isn't, then we need clarity on where we're trying to go. Now, secondly, do we know how to get there? Do we have the tools and the means and the knowledge to get there or not? Do we have the resources? Are we working together towards that or not? Okay, so all of that, inshallah, will be more work that we keep in mind when we move for the next part of the series much later in future themes when we talk about community development and so on and so forth. So we, we park this for now. But inshallah, we'll come back to it. And I think there's a lot of indications and a lot of hints in all of this. So let's stop here. There's a few more hadith that I wanted to go through, but I don't want to take uh, much longer than this. Inshallah, we continue next time. And happy to take any questions, concerns, comments. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. Connotation? So the question, if, uh, if it was not clear, is that today there is a uh, big movement that uh, we are trying to get people to overcome their fear and move away from their fear. And on the other side, we see this very clear mention in our religion, the importance given to fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so how do we reconcile those two? In short, it may look like there's a contradiction there. Okay, that's, I'm guessing, where the question comes from. So on the one side, in today's world, we're trying to overcome, go away from fear in general. And on the other side, we see an insistence in our religion about on fear. In short, because that's a... Uh, a really juicy and good topic for a longer, longer discussion, a much longer discussion. But in short, in Islam, you are supposed to overcome all of your fears. You leave no fear behind, but you replace everything with a fear of God. Your fear of God allows you not to fear anything else. 
in today's world, if you look at the examples of the things that are holding people back, it's everything but God. In our religion, if our religion were to be understood properly, you are not supposed to fear anything except God. Or, to put it another way, as our religion explicitly said, if you truly fear God, then God will make everything fear you, and you will fear nothing. In today's world, because there is no fear of God, there is fear of everything else. Our religion wants you to overcome all those fears. In fact, they shouldn't be there in the first place. And if they are, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to remove those other fears. The only thing that you should fear is, are you doing something wrong? Is the fear something that is waiting for you in the afterlife? If that is the case, do something about it. You should fear that. You have sins, you have done things wrong for yourself. You need to deal with those things. And the solution, unfortunately, what happens in a lot of cases, is people mull this over internally. They don't know how to deal with those issues, with their past, with their fears, with their problems. So they keep them internally, and it leads to paralysis. It leads to thinking that I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm going to carry this for my whole life. I'm going to live with this. No, that's not the point. There are things you're supposed to do to overcome this. You can't live in paralysis. You have to overcome those things that you did in the past. And this means that if these things are between you and God, you deal with it. And there are ways to deal with it in our religion. And if it's between you and other human beings, you deal with it. So that everyone who is, if there's injustice committed, you rectify that, you repair that relationship, and then you move on. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. The issue today is that we are stuck in a paradigm, we're in a stuck in a reality, in a culture, where everything else is becoming fear, and that fear is becoming paralyzing. In our religion, you're supposed to act. If something holds you back from acting, if it's legitimate, it needs to be dealt with. It can't stay there. Maybe temporarily, until it's resolved. But you're supposed to overcome all of your fears. This new trend, we believe in our religion, that it's always been there from the beginning. We're happy to say that our religion says, do not fear. We saw maybe the last time that we met a number of a hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, and we'll, in the future we'll see a lot more. We'll talk about character development from Imam Ali and from the Holy Quran, from the other members of Ahl al-Bayt salam. The constant push that they give to believers, to Muslims, to have confidence and move into action. Don't let things hold you back. Do you know enough? Do you understand? Do you distinguish between what needs to be done and why it needs to be done? Do you have enough knowledge about that? Yes? Move into action. Don't let things hold you back. And if there is something holding you back, you need to deal with it. Is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is it your fear of God? Fear of God is not paralyzing. 
Fear of God means you understand your place in this world. You understand how you fit into the universe. Your place, your true place in this world. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put this burden, this responsibility on you, and you want to make sure you act according to this responsibility. That's a good fear. That's a positive fear. It's the difference between being a child and being careless, and then at some point being hit with the idea that, okay, I'm an adult now. And I'm supposed to take on my life and my decisions and move on by making some important decisions and moving on in my life. Is there fear? Yeah, there might be some fear associated with that. But it's not supposed to be a paralyzing fear. It's supposed to be an empowering fear. That you understand the burden of the responsibility on you. When you sit in your car and you're about to drive, there's a burden of responsibility. You better do a good job. Otherwise, you're going to get into an accident and harm other human beings. There is a responsibility. Is it paralyzing? No. You're actually able to drive. Is it paralyzing for some people? It is. Is it normal? No. If it is paralyzing to you, there are things you're supposed to do so that you overcome that fear and you're able to drive. So the burden of the responsibility is not enough. In our religion, you're not supposed to allow other things except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Except your appreciation of the burden, of the responsibility, of the power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you in this world to act. This is the only thing that you're supposed to allow to cause you fear. And this is supposed to be a positive fear. A fear that empowers and emboldens and gives you confidence while at the same time understanding the burden. In today's world, we have the opposite. We have people who are now paralyzed with the fear of moving forward. We have the anxiety attacks and we have the mental health weakness and we have all sorts of other things. We're going to talk about that inshallah in, in upcoming lectures. I think one of the types of knowledge that we're supposed to have is understanding our culture the culture of the world today and w what it's amounting to the dominant personalities that are starting to emerge in society we can't fall into those inshallah we're going to talk more about about it there's a, a good book for instance that talks about this called the coddling of the american mind jonathan Haidt. Okay, and other of these books, they talk about the, the culture, per, cultural personalities that are emerging in today's world and the weakness associated with them. The inability to deal with any difficulty, any trauma, any trials, any pushback, any resistance to the point where you're always feeling triggered and you're incapable of just dealing with it. There's a lack of Resilience. There's a lack of adaptability. Okay? This is not coming out of the blue. This is a symptom of something much greater happening culturally that's leading to this. Islamically, we're also supposed to overcome this. Not let this become the normal state of affairs that we just accept. Okay? But now we're after the fact. It's already happened. If it's happening to others, it's happening to us too. We're not immune. We're part of these societies.
Okay, and this is overcoming every society in the world. No societies in the world are immune to this. Okay, so inshallah we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I'm going to associate that point of fear and having to overcome fear. In short, I would say our religion entirely and absolutely agrees with overcoming everything. My claim would be there is no real solution to it in today's world. You're just, you have to accept it as an axiom. You're just going to be told, you know, take it for granted. You're supposed to just overcome your fears. So let's go. Overcome your fears. Islamically, or the ideological reason our religion is going to give to this, is going to tell you, you are a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only legitimate, justified fear is from God, is from your creator. And making sure that you're acting like he wants you to act. And this has to become a source of confidence and power and overcoming fear in this world. And there's a justification, therefore, for this. It falls in an ideological pattern and framework. It's not just an empty claim that I'm giving you. You know, just overcome your fear. Why? Based on what? What allows me to overcome my fear? What gives me permission to overcome this fear? This is a legitimate fear. Islamically, if you understand what we're saying and you understand your relationship with your creator, with the creature to the creator, Islamically, we say, the only legitimate fear is from your creator. Everything else has to be part of that relationship. Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want you to fear those other things that you're fearing? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to act in this world. He created you to act in this world. That's why he created you. He made you a vicegerent, a representative of God on this, in this world. The only fear you should have is your fear of making sure the responsibility that is placed on you is being managed appropriately. Make sure that you handle the responsibility appropriately. And that, inshallah, we'll talk more about it, is a positive fear. It's a good stress to have. Because it empowers, it enables you to act. I don't know if I answered or not, okay? But I think that's a deep, important topic, a cultural topic. And inshallah, when we talk about the types of knowledge, I think one of them has to be understanding today's culture. And this is definitely one of the streams, one of the themes in today's culture. Inshallah, we at least will talk about it. We're not saying that we're going to do a full analysis and come up with solutions, but we need to be able to at least identify some of its ingredients and see how we fit in to all of this and what our religion says about this. So that was a that's an excellent question. Deep, excellent question. Okay.